I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Alert! Hello there, it's Obi-John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting, and welcome to your weekly Nerd Alert. Uh, thank you for joining us again this week. I'm uh, picking your favorite show on the Taught Nerdy to Me podcast network. We appreciate being your number one favorite show. Uh, thank you for listening to exclusively on only us. Uh, but if you enjoy this show and want to hear more nerdy talk about nerdy topics, check out uh, several of the amazing shows we have here on the Taught Nerdy to Me network, including Scott Cox's own, sorry, Commander Cox's own uh, House Rules, which I believe just premiered last week. Uh, Scott, you want to pitch your show a little bit? Shameless plug. It's called House Rules, and it uh-huh. just this week. Thank you. So we're all caught up now. Great. Appreciate that. Uh, check that out here on the Taught Nerd to Me podcast network. It's all about board gaming and, and rule sets and, and stuff like that. So if you're into board gaming at all, check it out. But this week, uh, we should kick things off. I should introduce my co-hosts. Uh, I'm all I'm all kerfluffled. I had some technical glitches at the beginning of the show, uh, so we're starting over again. So let me introduce my co-host. You already heard him wonderfully pitching his show to you, uh, and I can't believe it. Everyone's going to want to listen to that after such a rousing, amazing, heartfelt pitch. Uh, but he is the man who keeps the nerdy in the Tut Nerdy to Me Network, Commander Scott. Hello, everybody. And um, speaking of nerdy and stuff, uh, so I, I did a little bit of a rabbit hole research this week on uh, something that came into my forefront of my brain, and I have no idea how it got there at all. Uh, I was looking at the etymology of the word villain, actually. Once again, no idea, no idea where this idea came from, because it was always curious to me, the word villain. Because the root word of it is villa, which we all know what a villa is, right? Yes. Yeah, Bob Vila. He fixes houses. No, 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 not Vila. No, no. Villa. villa. Yeah, so um, the word actually dates back, to, as far as villain, the word actually dates back to medieval Latin. And that actually has, has, has meaning because, you know, late Latin, which is around the third to sixth centuries, uh, the word villa uh, basically meant uh, uh, any aggregation of rural dwellings, which kind of became almost synonymous with the word village. And a villain was anyone that that lived in rural villages or, you know, rural uh, housing or something. 
along those lines. And in medieval Latin came around from the seventh to the 15th century. Um, making the word villainous, basically an inhabitant of a villa, meaning basically once again, synonymous with villager. Uh, and, and, the interesting thing is the aristocracy of the time who pretty much controls all politics and, you know, they, they set the trends in language and everything um, under their use of the word in middle English uh, villainous meaning villager uh, developed the meaning of a person of uncouth mind and manners. Uh, it was common equating manners with morals and, and, and everything. So people who, you know, didn't have good manners and they, they, they wouldn't have good morals. And of course, over the years, the connotations continue to worsen for the word villain, uh, which of course shares with the villain or villain, depending on the Germanic or the, the French. And, uh, ultimately we get to the modern word villain, which is, not an unpolished or uncouth uh, uh, villager, but instead a deliberate scoundrel, knave, or criminal, uh, which I find very interesting. So looking at this etymology, if you go back to like Romeo and Juliet, which, you know, of course is like the 15th, 17th century, somewhere along there, when, you know, Tybalt basically shouts to Romeo, Romeo, thou art, thou art a villain. He's not calling him evil or criminal he's actually calling him um a, a a person of low born stature it's an insult he's hurling at him so this this really innocuous word which eventually just meant somebody from a rural village to, it, it gets used as a pejorative by uppity bastards and fast forward several centuries and now they're evil people which is not to say that an uncouth villager could not be a villain Exactly, but but that wasn't the original intent. Actually, the, even the uncouth villager wasn't the original intent. We, like, we, yeah, we, just, we are equal opportunity villains here. It doesn't matter where you start from. You can always be a villain. You can always be a villain. And let's not forget the best words, best use of the word villain ever in cinema history. I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but have you guys seen Expendables 2? Uh, I no. assume you all have, because it's amazing. Uh, yes. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme plays the lead antagonist his name his only name in the entire movie do you remember cox no i saw it in theaters and that's it villain really he's the bad guy and his name is literally villain that's how creative sylvester stallone was when he wrote that or co-wrote that movie seems like i should have caught that they dropped an l and put an accent on it villain we got to find Valoon. Nice. Track and find him. Kill him. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Stallone, was that a placeholder in the script and you just forgot to go back and change it? No, no, I meant to call him Valoon. No, that's totally what I meant to do. Uh... <laughs> Where's autocorrect? <laughs> Where's search and replace? Yo, Adrian. Sorry. Um, getting back. Uh... <laughs> go ahead, Scott. Sorry. I was like, getting back to the intro. <laughs> yeah. What were we doing again? Oh, yeah. Introducing the hosts. <laughs> Routing out this uh, trilogy, we have joining us from somewhere in time and space, perhaps via a DeLorean. We're not really ever sure. He wants to know if you've seen the size of that goddamn chicken. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the doc. Touching, Obi-John. Touching. Or should I call you Mr. McLean? 
Mr. Officer John McLean of the New York Police Department. Wow. So I'm just a security guard who's seen one too many <laughs> cowboy movies and thinks he's John Wayne. And I'm honest, at the beginning of that, I thought you were doing Dr. Evil. Oh. <laughs> you're gonna love you're gonna love a speech I have coming up later in this episode. Uh, uh, Jay, I applaud your effort at a uh, um, I can't think of the actor's name now at a a, a Alan, Alan Rickman. Thank you at an Alan Rickman accent. God. I tried. Yeah, Didn't yeah. McLean stuff in my brain picture switched over. It was spot on. <laughs> I was always partial to Roy Rogers myself. I like them sequin shirts. Ah, uh, yes. What was so that? we are here this week to talk to you all about. We're here to talk to you all of this this week, all about um, what can be the best or worst part of any movie, and that is, of course, the villain. We all love superhero movies and action movies and things like that, and it's it's. It's it's so trite to say it, but it's also so true. So I'm going to say it. A hero is only ever as good as their villain. So this week, we're not only going to talk about some of our favorite villains uh, throughout cinema and comics, video games, whatever. Uh, there, there was no limitations to the list. It was just best villains or favorite villains. But we're also going to dig a little deeper and, and look into what qualities really make a good villain. So uh, where exactly do you guys want to start with? We can go either way. Start with the qualities and then talk about well, examples or talk about examples and then qualities. Well, we so, can. We, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Well, we can start with the history of the word villain. So back in the sixth century. <laughs> swear we just did this. I'm getting deja. Jay, did you bump the time circuit? At elbow DeLorean small spaces. Couldn't. I. Sorry. Hard. We just traveled back in time. 60 seconds. Uh, I was going to say we could. I, I like the idea. The way I broke it down was like traits of a good villain and then sort of like some villains that fit those traits. Okay. Let's do it that way then. Who wants to kick it off? Um, I guess since I said we should start with traits, I'll start with my first okay, trait. Kick it off. Uh, Let's go. What I, what I think is a very important trait of any good villain is that they have sort of a, a compelling backstory, which also leads to their motive. Um, a lot of villains you don't just throw in somewhere and you're just like, hey, here's a villain, unless it's like the Expendables. Uh, but usually the villain has some sort of compelling backstory. Really good villains have a really good compelling backstory, which leads to a very strong motive. Um and one example I'm actually going to pull from one of what I think is a very good collection of villains, which are Disney villains. And uh, the Disney villain I'm going to use for having a good backstory and motive is Scar. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Time out. <laughs> now, first of all, I'm not going to argue with you. Yes, Scar is a great Disney villain. But you're you're gonna go with Scar from the Lion King and not just go with Hamlet. Well, you know, I okay. 
Yeah. Just wanted to make sure we got that out of the way. We're hanging a lampshade on that. So anyone who was furiously typing away in the comments, you're not going to talk about a Hamlet. Let's see, you hung a lampshade on it. You can't talk about it now. So go <laughs> ahead, Jay. I presume you're about to sing the entirety of Be Prepared. Oh, God. Out. God, I love that. I watched it earlier. Anyway. That's right. Uh, I assume you're going with this. Are, are you not going to sing Be Prepared acapella on the show? No? No, no, I oh. can't. Uh, Jeremy Irons does it too well. I can't. uh <laughs> Jeremy Irons doesn't sing in that entire fucking song. Jeremy Irons is just talking to a beat. Yes, but it's di- I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to detract. Jeremy Irons plays a great villain. Uh, see Die Hard three. Uh, we have a theme tonight. It's Die Hard. It's Jason quoting Die Hard villains. I love it. Uh, ah, yeah. With the Ollie font ready to go. Anyway, my Sorry. so why why I pick Scar is he's. And yes, all, you know, allusions to Shakespeare plays aside, you know, he is the brother of the king. He's going to get passed over because, of course, the king had a son. And so he's not even going to get a chance at the throne. Um, he's already kind of like he's already got evil undertones. And then you just sort of in that conversation he has with Mufasa you learn a little bit more about him. And I just think that he's got really good motive to do what he did in that movie. And his backstory is not as intricate as other villains backstories, but you hear about it and you find out like all this other information about him. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I get why he's doing it. And it's also a children's movie and they had to make it easy to understand for kids. But like I think it's I think he's a good example for having a good motive to be a villain. Well, I I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to completely disagree here. Okay. Uh I don't think a good backstory is anywhere near necessary to have a good villain. And so I'm I'm my reasoning cuz when you said this like one of the first villains that pops into my head as far as a good villain, let's go with Darth Vader. Just a great villain. At the time of his introduction, no backstory at all. In fact, he's completely enigmatic. You don't need to know who he is or where he comes from. You just need to know he's the villain. He's in charge. He's evil. You get that and you go forward. He's great. Um, Another one is uh, one of my favorite villains is Scorpius from from Farscape. When he's introduced, you know nothing of his backstory. You, You got nothing against his motivations other than he's just evil and he's just a good villain. And, and that's all there is to it. Uh, uh, going to die hard. We get, uh, Hans Gruber, good villain. We know nothing of his backstory in that movie. There is nothing in that movie that gives him a backstory or motivation other than he's a criminal and he wants money. That's it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to knock a backstory. Uh, I'm not. I'm just saying it is not necessary to make a good villain. Now, if you wish to expand upon that and make him a good character, then yes, you definitely need a backstory and motive. Going back to Scorpius and um, Darth Vader, they eventually get expanded upon and they get great backstories and make them good characters, arguably, uh, for the Darth Vader part. Um, but yeah, I, I, I disagree that you need a good backstory to make a good villain. I'm going to completely split the difference on this one. Then, um, 
I'm with Scott about backstory. Uh, that backstory isn't necessary for a good villain. However, I do agree with Jay about the motivation. And let me explain what I mean by that. I, I don't think motivation and backstory need to be tied together uh, or should be tied together. You can have a good motivation without knowing someone's complete backstory. And in fact, some of the examples I use come from horror movies. Hannibal Lecter, one of the greatest villains ever put on screen. He's he he steals every scene he's in. I think he's only in well, like a total of fifteen minutes of the entire movie. Yet he's the one who's nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, he stole the movie. We we get a little bit of his backstory that yeah he's a serial killer and he was a cannibal and he ate some people. We don't get the entire backstory linked into the character, but we understand his motivations to a degree. His motivation is he's enjoying fucking with the mind of Clarice. And he's enjoying having someone there to interact with. So he's he's stringing this along. He's toying her because he he wants her to come back and get more information. However, you go too far the opposite direction with that, and you get the sequel, Hannibal, which dives straight into uh, or, or makes Hannibal the the star character. And that movie is infinitely more boring than Silence of the Lambs because he he's a good character in small doses or things like uh Hannibal Rising where they literally go through the entire backstory of Hannibal from being a child uh, up till we meet him in in Sounds of the Lambs that movie is terrible yeah. uh Rob Zombie's Halloween where we get the entire backstory of Jason Vor or not Jason Voorhees wow wow take away a point for me the entire backstory of of Michael Myers uh, which is completely unnecessary. In fact, Michael Myers is infinitely more terrifying when you have no idea why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, sequels tried to tell, oh, she was his sister, and that's why. No, it's a, it's a, it's a cult thing. He's infinitely more terrifying when you don't understand why he was trying to kill Lori and her friends. You just know he was trying to kill Lori and her friends. So motive, he's trying to kill me. That's his motivation in every scene. He's he's stalking me. He wants to kill me. That's all we need to know. We don't need to know the entire backstory of the character. But motivation, what does that character want? What does that villain want? That helps. Otherwise, well, they're just randomly doing stuff for the sake of on the bad guy. Yeah. So two two things. One, before we get off of Michael Myers, his motivation is not he's not trying to kill Lori. His motivation is I wish to drive creepily around a town for 90 minutes. And he does it beautifully. Yeah. Um, Mission anyway. accomplished. Exactly. So. But going back to Hannibal, uh, you yeah. know, you mentioned that 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 motivation and backstory don't need to be tied. Absolutely. As soon as you said it. Yeah. Great. I love it. But the sequels, when they when they they give us, you know, Hannibal and then they give us they give us more of the backstory. Once again, they're trying, just like I said, they're trying to make the villain a character and they're trying to expand it. The problem with those is they literally give us everything that we already know about the character. It's just here's the details and they, they don't give us, they don't change anything about the character. And, and that's something you can't do with a villain. You can't uh, change a villain into a character without giving us new information. And those movies and the backstory of Hannibal literally give us no new information. Whereas if you go to Vader, you know, you get the backstory of Anakin Skywalker. It does give us new information, and it does turn him into a character because it is very hard in in my opinion this is this is my own little humble opinion it is very hard for me for a long time to see Anakin Skywalker as Darth Vader because of the way his character arc was in the prequel and yeah even mm -hmm. though we do see him get burned and stuff on on Mustafar we see the the rise of him in the armor 
they always still seemed very disparate characters. And the only thing that has brought those two uh, flip sides of that character coin, the, the, that dichotomy into one melded mesh was uh, that lovely, lovely scene in Rebels. When he mm, with Ahsoka. Yeah. You know, that is how you change a villain into a character and you do it right. Well, uh, the example I wanted to use for, for backstory and motivation is one of my absolute favorite villains of all time is Agent Smith from the first Matrix movie. Forget the sequels, just the first Matrix movie. His backstory, he's a program. That's it. He has no history. He has no past. He has no childhood. He wasn't raised by rednecks out in the woods and he was abused as a kid and wants to take it. His parents weren't murdered by hackers and now he wants revenge. None of that bullshit. He literally, he's a program. He was created to hunt down uh, people jacking into the Matrix. That is all he exists for. Uh, So you do not need any backstory, but he does in one scene give you an amazing motivation. Uh, and if you thought Jay's accent was terrible, get ready. Uh, because as you know, we cannot just read a quote on this show. It will upset Scott Cox. So anytime a quote is pre- presented on this show from now on, it has to be performed as if you were doing uh, some kind of uh, like one-man show. So <clears throat> I'm getting character. Here we go. Hmm. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species, and I realized you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but humans do not. You move to an area, you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed, and the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There's another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what that is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. I hate this place, this zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. There is such a thing. I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink on every time. And every time I... I already fucked it up. I can taste your stink. And every time I do, I fear that I've somehow been infected by it. It's, It's repulsive. I must get out of here. I must get free. And in this mind is the key. My key. Once Zion is destroyed, there's no need for me to be here. Do you understand? I need the codes you have. I have to get inside Zion. You have to tell them to me. You're going to tell me or you're going to die. Thank you. Thank you. For your... Submit that to the Academy Award of Podcast Chittiness. Well, I I thought you were Hugo Weaving for a split second there. Uh, It's it's that Aussie accent or that that Kiwi accent, I know. Uh. Sorry, I flubbed the line. I even rehearsed that before the show started. I, Sorry, flubbed, I, it. I flubbed the line way back when I did the uh, the the V from Vendetta speech. <laughs> That's a tongue twister, sir. You get props for even attempting that. I love that speech. Uh, but yeah, I, it, that that is the moment where Agent Smith, in my eyes, went to being just a cool physical antagonist and like, oh, they're agents. They can do whatever because they're inside the program, so they don't, you know, they're bulletproof and all that kind of shit. To actually 
transcending because because before he gives that second part because that's actually his 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 whole monologue is chopped up uh, because you cut to other things throughout it so actually three smaller monologues cut together uh but during the last part it's the first time in the entire movie you see him take off his sunglasses take out his earpiece and he he he's talking to lawrence fishburne as a person not as this soulless machine this automaton he gets on a personal level to give that last part of the dialogue and it's the first time he shows any kind of emotion um well and, and that's good well and, and that's what's it's that moment that separates him from the other two agents exactly that's what makes him the villain yes not just a henchman uh, but again perfect example because i was trying to think of of understanding someone's motivation but not needing their backstory uh, and and that was the the perfect example to me is literally he has no backstory he, he's a program he was created for one purpose he doesn't have a childhood he didn't have you know any kind of trauma leading up to this you know he's, he's it literally this is the thing he's created to do and and he he, he just hates his job and wants to be done with it He's he's a program. I was created to, to do this, and every day that goes by that I don't do this, it kills me inside. Um, I loved that. So there you go. Although is is it wrong that I now want to see the fan film of a young Agent Smith in a suit, glasses, <laughs> earpiece, thing, raised in the woods by wolves because his parents were killed? <sighs> his first day on the job, and he's full of piss and vinegar, and he's going to change the world, and he really wants to make a difference, and then just slowly gets grinded out into the agent we know. His partner was two days from retirement and they got caught on one last case. Surprise, <laughs> it was really Morpheus who killed his partner. I don't know. Jesus. I love it. They go to get grilled out by the chief and the chief is just the architect who doesn't get mad. He just speaks in really, really long sentences with uh, crazy, stupid word pack words that no one understands. <laughs> Oh, uh, God, I love it. I love it. Right. So. Nevertheless, Jay, I think you hit the nail on the head. Motivation, I think, is the key is if you don't understand, if you don't at least understand the motivation, what's driving that uh, that person, it's, it's hard to get behind a villain. Otherwise, they're just being evil because we need a bad guy. Uh, and, and sometimes those characters can be fun, but they're they they're a dime a dozen, you know. Well, Great. it's the different. It, a good motivation and, and everything is one of the key factors between an antagonist or a, a villain and a memorable villain. If that makes sense. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's several out there that, that, you know, have good motivation, but we don't remember them. Um, specifically, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to a Disney villain, which is a villain that I love. He's a good villain. But he doesn't, I mean, and he has decent motivation, but it's, it's not like, it's not, uh, I, I don't know, a memorable motivation. So it doesn't bring him in. And that was the character whose name I can't think of because he's that immemorable. Uh, the villain from uh, The Rescuers Down Under, voiced by uh, George C. Scott. The hunter? McLeach. McLeach, yeah. He's got great motivation. I mean, he's, he's trying to make money. He's a poacher. and we, we, we know what his motivation is, but he's just not memorable because... Well, it's it's a dime a dozen. It's okay, cool. He, he's out to make money, but there's there's nothing else there that gives him an extra oomph. Well, that's a perfect segue because we all agree motivation is important, but motivation alone 
does not a great villain make? So right. what what is the next quality um, we we want to jump into? I've got a couple. Well, I don't want I don't want to step on toes. No, it's just one thing that I always think of when I think of a, a villain, especially the the memorable villains, the good villains, is is they always have almost an ineffable quality of intelligence that surpasses those around him. Um, okay, and I at least in. Um, sorry go ahead oh, i was just gonna say on my list i had calculating which i would include in that intelligence yeah yeah it, it's just like like well let's go back to agent smith you know you've got the three agents and they're all kind of the same up until that scene where we see we get a glimmer into the the, the individuality of agent smith versus the others that that's what elevates mm-hmm. above the others uh, I'm going to go back to Vader because uh, I use him a lot. And, and that is, is when you see him around the other characters, even if you compare him to Grand Moff Tarkin in that, which Grand Moff Tarkin in that movie was, was robbed because Peter Cushing is an excellent character actor and, and he had great, there was still something above him because everybody else deferred to him in the rule in, in the room, except for Tarkin. He's the only one that didn't cow to Vader. Um, so he's obviously, you know, he's in command of the others. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head, but I've, I've got one for you, Scott. When you think of intelligent, uh, villains, probably mm-hmm. one of, probably one of the coldest, most calculating and intelligent villains I've seen in a movie. Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. Sniping him off my list already. I like it, Jay. This <laughs> uh, is the guy I, from right. Before uh, the, yes, the Jew hunter. Yes, yeah, he, he was great. I mean, just that you know, the, he 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 does it. Uh, that opening scene is right. I, I I just you just I would just watch that opening scene over and over again. You know, I don't need to see the rest of the damn movie. Just, Where the it is it's a master class in how to create tension on film in one scene. Yeah, and it with for me the intelligence and calculatingness of it comes into play at the end when he knows what the bastards are up to, and he sort of is blackmailing them into he's trying to like blackmail Brad Pitt into giving him um, immunity in the United States. Um, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but just like. The way he's going about it, his conversation with him, you just are like, wow, this dude's got it figured out. I mean, of course, Brad Pitt one-ups him one last time, but, like, you're like, damn, this guy's smart. Uh, and, and like you said, the beginning scene where he's speaking a different language that he knows the people under the floorboards don't speak, I think, right? Yes, mm-hmm. Because he switches, because he wants the he wants the guy that he's talking to to be able to speak, without the people underneath knowing that he's betraying them. Yes, and it's yeah, just so, a cold, calculating, intelligent bastard. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll one of mine into into what you guys have brought up because I, I try to go kind of general with mine uh, and, and not get too specific. But intelligence stuff fits under one of the things I had down was. A, a likable or admirable ability, uh, or excuse me, quality. Um, the villain, to an extent, 
has to be competent. Whatever their task is, they have to be competent. And that's it's the difference between Hans Landa, who is a guy who just happens to be really good at tracking down people and hiding, and the Shredder on the Turtles cartoon show, whose plan always fails, or you know, Lord Zed or Rita. Yeah, they're entertaining to watch, but when are their plans? And like once a season, their plan works out. Uh, almost, but the rest of the time they're incompetent, bumbling idiots, and you're like, "How do you still have this job?" Um, what was that? Cobra Commander. It's, it's perfect. Yes. Uh, you know, that's the, the difference between what makes a good villain and what makes just well, we have to have a bad guy. So here's our bad guy. Uh, they've got to have a, a quality that the audience, to a degree, finds admirable. Whether that's intelligence or uh, you know some kind of physical feat, whatever, uh, they have to have some quality that we, as the audience, can admire and appreciate. And the I think I will go a little bit step further and say even some of the best ones are ones that mirror uh, a quality of our hero, but in a twisted form. And to go the obvious route, you look at stuff like. You know, a lot of comic book villains are essentially the flip side of the coin of their hero. Um, so they both have similar qualities and traits, but they're used to two different ends. Um, so you have stuff like uh, Ant Man, or sorry, uh, Iron Man and Iron Monger, which are you know, they're both intelligent guys who both have cool suits of armor that have been developed and it's tech based, but they're using them for different ends. One wants to conquer the world and make money off it, and the one wants to use it to like help the world. And, and you, those are a dime a dozen, especially in Marvel movies. Those are a dime a dozen. Uh, you, you could list those ad nauseum, but it works because it, it it helps us to understand our hero a little bit better, and it helps us to see. To, to frame the light on our hero a bit because it, it's, you know, so say again, we'll go back to intelligence. Uh, Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes, both incredibly intelligent people, but it's how they use that intelligence that separates one from being the hero and one from being the villain. But they're both intelligent people. And even in Moriarty, he was, he was the villain. We can admire his intelligence. Well, it, it's, it's funny that you mention um, Moriarty. Uh, Cause, uh, cause this kind of leads into one of my things for, for a good villain. Okay. And I don't mean to like jump off onto another trait Cause I know we're, we're still dealing with intelligence and competence and calculating and that whole kind of mesh of mm-hmm. stuff. But cause Moriarty was high on my list. Um, okay. of that I love, but Moriarty, I, I love because his main, yeah, he's intelligent and stuff, but his, his main crux of him being a good villain is he is the literal opposite side of the coin from our hero. He is the yin to the yang. He is the exact same as our hero, but corrupted. You know, Mm -hmm. like, like look at Batman and and well, see, now here's the thing, Batman and Joker or Batman and Rachel Ghoul. I think you kind of got to look at him because Batman is is very strict. He has a very strict code of conduct. He 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 he's he's disciplined. He is very disciplined in everything he does. That is his one of his heroic qualities. And then you have the Joker, who is complete chaos. Mm-hmm. So the complete opposite of our hero, I think, is another quality that makes for a good villain. Is he has to be the opposite side of our coin from our hero. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and, and again, 
even there, go back to you know Batman and Joker. Uh, again, they they both in, in, and again, I don't think you strayed too far off the topic, but because even there, the, the Joker's not an idiot. The Joker's intelligent. It may be a different kind of intelligence from you know Batman's intelligence is is very like you said disciplined and studied and uh, where the, the Joker's is he's definitely more chaotic, but he's still he. He's a pretty good chemist. Uh, that ain't easy. <laughs> he comes up with some pretty elaborate plans. That ain't easy. Uh, he's 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 not an idiot. Uh, so until again, there's still a quality shared between the two, but used for dra- vastly different uh, uh, ends. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. The because the the Joker, both Heath Ledger and uh, Jack Nicholson versions, are high on my list of villains. And for a reason, I think, you know, if you're talking heroes and villains, uh, it's easy to go superheroes and supervillains and comic book characters. And they're I and I'll go ahead and say this, I, even though Batman isn't necessarily my favorite character, there is no better pairing of hero to villain. Than Batman and Joker. They, they are two. And, and then we can go through the whole you know, how they they've started differently and whatnot. But as of today, in 2021, the way they've evolved and changed and grown they are like like we've said before. They are perfect opposite sides of the same coin. Uh, go back to we'll talk to the you know we talked about backstory and motivation. Um, granted, we don't really have a set ever backstory for the Joker, but we he's Batman is a guy who had a tragedy happen and he wants to ensure that that tragedy never happens to anyone else. So he dedicates his life to fighting crime. And Joker is a person who, again, depending which version of the Joker's origin you want to go with or parts you want to consider, uh, if you go with you know, the Killing Joke version, he's a guy who had a terrible day, one really bad day. And the way he copes with it is he wants to make sure fucking everybody knows exactly how he feels uh, by having a terrible day, uh, maybe more than one. I don't know. Uh, but that's again, it's it's flip sides of the same coin. There, it's you know how they they both had some kind of trauma inflicted on them, and how they deal with that separates what makes one a hero and what makes one a villain. Um, that's the point I think I was trying to make with all that, right? And I don't, so I don't want to jump into a new one, but do it. Talking about some of the here, like some of the villains we've talked about, and bringing up Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. This I kind of got specific with some of my things, and to me, what makes a more memorable villain, and I guess this goes for any character, because you could say this for any character, but I want my villain to be, especially in film, because you can't really say it for a video game or a comic, but, uh, I mean, you can sort of for a video game, but I want them to be well acted. Like, I want somebody that I'm going to remember the role for a long time. You well, know what I mean? You can't you can't dismiss the role of of the uh, the performer in in crafting uh, a, a memorable uh character or a villain of any kind. Um, yeah. Um, and that's what so that's what I was going for is cuz like when I started thinking about some of the villains that I really like and then I started thinking about people that constantly play villains, I'm like man, they are really good at making a villain and one that stood out in my mind is gary oldman gary oldman's just awesome at whatever he does i i Truth. agree True. Uh, i agree with that 100 percent. but i just listed some of his more memorable 
villains that he's played. So he plays uh, Jean Emmanuel Baptiste Zorg, right? I think I got them all in the right order. Yeah. Uh, from the Fifth Element. Um, he With- plays Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. Lost in Space. Yep. He plays Dracula. Mm-hmm. He yep. plays uh, Ivan. I can't think of his last name, but he's the terrorist from Air Force One. And what I think is his most underrated villainous role is Stansfield, the detective from Leon the Professional. You know, I don't think I've ever actually seen Leon. Oh, we can fix that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Gary Oldman as Stansfield is frightening. So, yeah. so one thing I want to I want to touch on was the fact you you bring the fact that you bring up his his role in the Fifth Element. <laughs> and one of the things that we bring up, you know, that we we just touched on was that that a good villain, not not as required for every villain, but a good villain is is a lot of times the exact opposite of your hero. And in this movie, the villain and the hero never meet. Correct. It's true. Ever in this movie, do they have, they share a scene? In fact, not a single scene together. Yeah. In fact, there's even one scene where they miss each other by like a fraction of a second, <laughs> which I think is gorgeous and wonderful. So that that leads us that leads me to a question: Is Zorg as a villain the opposite of uh, Corbin Dallas, or is he the opposite of the priest? He's the opposite of Corbin Dallas because Corbin Dallas has no drive. He got out of the military. He lives in a shitty apartment. He drives a cab. He's just kind of muddling through life. Zorg founded an empire. Uh, he runs a company. He's spent vast resources. He, he has a very clear goal in mind. He wants to find these stones for the giant evil space ball. Uh, they are... As far as ability and whatnot, we can go into, you know, Corbin Dallas is a little bit more physical than he is mental, whereas Zerg is, is, is sorry, Zorg, Zerg is from Disney again, uh, is more mental in that he's, he's sort of the mastermind. Um, but I definitely think they're opposite characters. Well, the reason I bring it up is because we've got that beautiful scene with uh, Ian Zorg and Ian Holm and the fact that they literally have a philosophical discussion that, 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 that illustrates both characters motivations. So, you know, is, I mean, you see where I'm getting at is Corbin Dallas really the hero of the story. I think it's the priest. No, it's clearly Lilu Dallas multipass. <laughs> Lilu Dallas multipass, which I believe is her full legal name. So, um, I would, I would well, say to go back to go back to what Jay was talking about. Uh, you cannot ignore if you're talking movies. You cannot ignore casting because casting can make a great role terrible, and it can take a terrible role and make it leap off the page. And to tie this into last week's episode, Tim Curry as Cardinal Richelieu in Three Musketeers from 1993, on the page that is a boring ass by the numbers villain role, but you watch Tim Curry play with it. And you can't take your eyes off of them. Yeah, um, there's, yeah, plenty of roles that are the same way. I was, I was just gonna say to add on to that, Alan Rickman as the sheriff of Nottingham. 
who turned the role down four times. <laughs> Alan Rickman as the sheriff of Nottingham. They wanted him really bad. <laughs> it's one of my least favorite Alan Rickman roles. Uh, I I don't like him in that. I, I don't know. I, I You know, that whole movie, and I don't mean to get off on this movie, but as much as I do enjoy the movie, I also hate the movie because for the most part, I hate this casting. I hate that casting. Is that about Robin Hood? Yeah, that movie could have been so great if it had different casting. Or if Kevin Costner hadn't tried to do an English accent for parts of it and then not parts of others. I just think Kevin Costner was horribly miscast in that. But once again, it's a whole topic for a different... That's a discussion. I was going to say, please, please put a pin in that for a future topic because I will spend an entire episode talking about Prince of Thieves. Uh, But we're here to talk about our villains today. Villains, yes. Um, Uh, Yeah. No, I think you're 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 definitely right, Jay. And that, that's kind of a hard quality to to nail down, uh, right? And it's not really something you can generalize. But yes, casting can mean the the difference uh, can be life or death for your villain role. The right casting can make a a boring character leap off the page, and and bad casting can make what should have been a cool villain and just kind of drown it. So, uh, anyone. Other qualities you're here before we jump off the different topic or or different uh, uh, trait. Go for it. Okay, so the last one I had, and and again, this one is, I try to be general. The arguably most important role that the villain has is to challenge the protagonist to rise to their full ability. And this goes back to that trite thing that I said at the beginning of the show. Hero is only as good as their villain. And it's been said, you know, until you're blue in the face, but it's true. It's so true. Look at some of the most memorable movies and and stories uh, that you remember. They're always great because of how great the villain is. If you have a shitty villain, your heroes aren't that heroic. They didn't really have to do much to beat them. How much do the Turtles really have to do to beat Shredder every week? How much did the Power Rangers really have to do to beat Lord Zed or Rita every week? We know what happens every episode. Fight the monster. Fight the putties. Morph. Fight some more putties. Fight the monster. Monster gets big. Form Zords. Win. Go home. It's every week, man. Get a new plan. Uh, but <laughs> when, when those heroes think out, or when our villains are, are, are uh, presented in a better way. And I'll use Lord Zed again. Um, <clears throat> Lord Zed's first goal is take out the Green Ranger. He is successful in doing that. He changed up his strategy. He changed up his plan. Or Rita in bringing in the Green Ranger in the first place. You know, when the Green Ranger himself is an awesome villain for the five episodes he's a villain in. Because he makes your heroes rise to, a, to, to up their game uh, to beat them. And that is, that is an inherent quality. And arguably the, the most important quality of your villain the or the antagonist of your story is they're there to to make your hero have to challenge themselves have to grow as a person uh in order to to defeat them so they're kind of like heroic yeast <laughs> yep and now we have an episode title <clears throat> heroic yeast <laughs> jeez <laughs> get it cuz they make brothers yeah, no, 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 we got it. We got it. <laughs> uh, whether that's on a physical, mental, whatever level, uh, it, is, it is the primary goal or, or primary uh, function of the villain to make your hero give it their all, to grow as a person, to acquire new skills. Uh, 
to be able to to be them. Look at any <laughs> Rocky movie after uh, Rocky Two. I think all of the Rocky fights the guy, Rocky loses, Rocky gets the eye of the tiger, and Rocky wins. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> it's simple. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, and I am the tiger. Jay, Jay, that's close to a quote. You're gonna have to perform it now. Be careful. Rising up to the challenge of a rival. The worst karaoke I've ever I heard. I enjoy the Doc's renditions of famous musical titles that <laughs> um half sing half mumble. <laughs> Like he's drunkenly trying to recall the lyrics, but can't quite. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Obi John. Yes. Did you know that when it snows, my eyes become large, and the light that you shine, that you shine can, can be, be seen? seen. Baby. Okay. One, once again, I have no idea what you're talking about now. Kiss from Rose from Batman Forever. <clears throat> Seal. Still, that the only knows. song I can name that Seal performs. That that yeah, movie it doesn't make sense. The word lyrics don't make sense at all. No, they don't. I don't think that movie had music. I've seen that movie. I don't remember any music. You, you wouldn't know, Scott. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the, the rising to defeat your your villain, and the the example I wanted to use for that because it's one of my favorite villains, and it's also going to tie into one of my favorite quotes. <clears throat> Okay, I'll get the character. <clears throat> I'm gonna see if you can guess the character from my my speech. Okay. Mm. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop ever until you're dead. Anybody? Anybody? Um, Neil Patrick Harris's character from Harold and Kumar. You nailed it, dude! Boom! One shot. Look at you. Talking about that was a quote from Kyle Reese talking about the Terminator from the movie The Terminator. Yeah, um, I, well, I, actually, you know, it's something I was thinking about as far as a, a good villain. Okay, because the Terminator in the Terminator mm-hmm. is completely unrelenting. Yes, and the unrelentingness that quality is the only thing. The only thing that actually makes Terminator 2 good is is that, that the T-1000 also shares that quality. Because well, once he can, he can morph into cool shapes. And, and <laughs> he can be stabby. Because in that movie, we also, going back to something that, 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 I, that we touched on uh, at the beginning of the episode, was that with the, the T, the, the uh, Cyberdyne Systems Model 101. Uh, fuck T800. All right. It's the C- Cyberdyne Systems Model 101. The T800 is the damn toy. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting that from, but okay. Let's call it the T800. Whenever okay. you see it in screen, it, it, it's Cyberdyne Systems Model 101. Okay. And they in the in the second movie they give him a backstory of being reprogrammed by the son and they turn the villain into a character and they give us a new villain with the same quality which is unrelenting and going to another villain 
with a with a with an open parentheses s closed. Um, is the Borg from Star Trek? And ah. the Borg, a really really good villain in the next generation, is because they are unrelenting. In Voyager, they tried to turn them into a character by giving them a backstory and not really humanizing them. That's not quite the right word, but they, they, they gave them another villain, which is species eight, four, seven, two. And it fucked the Borg over like completely because mm-hmm. it tried to make them a character and not a villain. And they did it wrong. So, okay. I'm just going to go off in the left field then. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the Borg in first contact where you meet the Borg queen and they give a, a face if you will, to the Borg. See, now, the Borg Queen in First Contact, I love. Okay. I love it. Because it is that is how you turn the Borg from a villain into a character. Is because, you know, when you first see the Borg Queen, which you have that awesome CGI shot of her, tor- of her, of her like, upper part being lowered into her torso, which was actually really uh-huh. cool. Um, and she says, I am the Borg. Just that that line, that one line is so underrated. Nobody talks about it. I am the Borg. Not we are the Borg. I am the Borg. And, and, and Brent Spiner as Data says that is a contradictory in terms. The Borg are a collective consciousness. And she laughs at him. Not like a like a like a hearty laugh, but just a, 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 an amuse and a, a, a besmirch of amusement crosses her face, and and it, it's beautiful. And what the writers of Voyager did to that wonderfully constructed character is absolutely criminal in the history of television and cinema, because they did not understand what the writers of the movie were trying to convey. They weren't trying to convey because in Voyager, she becomes an individual. She controls the Borg. No, the Borg queen does not control the Borg. She is not an individual. She is a personification of the Borg collective as a whole. She is all of those voices speaking for the first time in the first person because she learned it or they learned it or it learned it, however you want to to, to spin it, from their encounters with humans. And Voyager took that and trashed the shit out of it. Completely. So you say stuff like this, and then you tell me I should watch Voyager. I get very mixed messages, Scott. (laughs) I like the Borg as they are in my head, knowing only what I've seen from the two-part episode where Picard becomes a Borg and First Contact. That is all I have seen of the Borg. Uh, well, I guess I saw the first episode where they very first meet the Borg. But those three, that's all I've ever seen of the Borg. And I kind of want to keep it that way because they're so, awesome in my mind. I agree. I ruin that. And you're not wrong. So okay. you should see the Hugh episodes. Hold on. I just want to write down the timestamp so I can get you telling me I'm right. Okay. Gotcha. Well, you're right. You're not wrong. <laughs> there is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> so, edit around that first part. So it just says Scott saying, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, so continue. you need to see the Hugh episodes because they are good. And Hugh is a wonderful character. And Picard just once again, just fucking shits all over him. 
Well, Picard was terrible, so I'm fine. Picard was not terrible. Picard was terrible. I'll just ignore it. It was not terrible. There are aspects of Picard I like. However, I don't. I don't understand what peyote the the writers were smoking half the time in that writers' room. But uh, <laughs> do you see the size of that goddamn chicken? <laughs> Is that the chicken that uh, Riker was cooking? Is that what you're talking about? Because that I remember. Oh, yeah, God. I remember. I remember everything with Riker. Forget everything else. But man, Come- Riker was badass. Is that what you're talking about when she when he makes the eggs in, in the season two episode? Yeah. No? Okay, mm-hmm. never Yeah. <laughs> so I'm got I'm making a deep Star Trek cut. That's what I'm known for. <laughs> so the Borg in, <laughs> now first of all, Seven of Nine is a great character. I yeah. love Seven of Nine. I well, love a lot more than Kess. Screw Kess. She was a shitty character. Yeah, um, Voyager, you should definitely watch. However, you are not wrong <laughs> in the fact that it is going to fuck up the Borg for you because the Borg <laughs> in Voyager are fucking pussies. That was a very long, deep breath before you tried to tell me to watch it again. I think I'm just going to skip Voyager, Scott. No, because Voyager has... You know, what, you know what I could do? I could go back and rewatch Enterprise again. Uh, no. And just never watch it. That, that's not, there's a Borg episode in Enterprise. I'll watch that. There's a Borg episode in Enterprise, and it's actually really good. But, <laughs> you know... Um, actually, I think my wife is home. I didn't realize that. <laughs> um, but... Uh, um, uh, Stay on target. <laughs> now, you know Voyager is good it has some great episodes especially the Beowulf episode god I love the Beowulf episode because um, you literally get the doctor interacting with Vikings it's great what the Voyager writers did with the Borg Queen is, is so it's, it's just criminal because like literally we've, we've got the Borg, which is a collective group and it's awesome as a villain and there's no reasoning with them. There's no deceiving them. What one Borg knows all Borg know what, you know, uh, what one Borg adapts to all Borg adapt to like, like literally after the second shot from a standard Federation type two phaser in the next generation, all Borg everywhere were now immune to those those weapons they were they were just they they had adapted and that made them scary as hell and then in 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 voyager there's an episode where uh, janeway tuvok uh and and i think seven but i'm not sure it's been a while uh they they allow them they're on a borg ship and they allow themselves to get captured and assimilated but they've got a plan to keep them you know individual blah 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 which is fine i got that but when 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 Janeway springs her trap, you know, and she deceives the Borg Queen and everything, the Borg Queen is trying to figure out where they're at in the ship. And she has one of the drones literally look up at a road sign or a little sign that tells them where they're at in the cube. And I'm like, this is so fucking stupid because the Borg that are there should know where they are in that ship, which means Every Borg should know where they're at in that ship, which means the queen should know because she is the Borg. She's not an individual leading the Borg. And it was just, uh, it's horrible. Now, once again, I know what I'm saying is, is anti Voyager, but Voyager does have some really good episodes. 
and you really should watch it, but it is ignore the stuff that makes you hate the Borg Voyager or the Voyager Borg. The, the, the Voyager Borg are so nerfed a, a seven year old with a type one phaser from the 23rd century can beat them. But yeah, it's just anyway. Sorry. Uh, sorry, Scott. I forgot to hit record. Can you do that a third time? So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was a dumb question. I should have known the answer would be yes. Uh, look, I uh, I'll maybe get around to it, but uh, it is definitely at the bottom of my list for Trek series to rewatch. Um, but yeah. I think the point we're making was the relentlessness of the Borg and the Terminator, and, and that being a very uh, intimidating quality for your villain. Yes. Very much so. Um, and that's, again, one of the reasons why I had the the T-800 on my list of great villains, because like Kyle Reese points out to, to Sarah, this thing is programmed just to kill you. That is the sole reason this thing exists. It's very similar to, to Agent Smith in The Matrix. His whole reason for being here and existing is to kill you, um, which brings a very interesting question, which they kind of, and I hate to say anything nice about Terminator Dark Fate, but they do kind of address the issue of, okay, so if that Terminator had succeeded like right away and it killed all three Sarah Connors in the phone book, wh- what does it do then? Just hang out? Apart. I kind of figure it would shut down. Well, according to Terminator Dark Fate, it would start a drapery company uh, and, and marry a woman uh, in a non-sexual relationship. Well, uh, and then just grow old and live in Texas because he, because here is the beauty of the first Terminator movie when it comes to this. So let's say you know, uh, so the the uh, Skynet sends the the CSM one hundred and one Cyberdyne Systems Model one hundred and one because it's not the T eight hundred into the fucking toy line um, back in time to to kill Sarah Connor and thus you know. You know, uh, killing, uh, uh, I forget his name, uh, John Connor before he starts the resistance. But it does more than that because if he kills all the Sarah Connors, thus fulfilling its mission, it shuts down. Now, what happens when it shuts down? It gets captured, which means it's going to be studied. And who's it going to be sent to? The largest manufacturer or researcher. It's going to be sent to Cyberdyne, thus ensuring its own existence because because Skynet was built off of this technology in the first place. Skynet knows this. So sending it back is twofold. Kill John Connor, ensure my own existence. It is a beautiful, wrapped up little bow storyline. And then Terminator 2 happens and fucks it all to shit. I mean, it does that. Uh, I love it. We love T2. And we, we, we've talked in the past about how T2 basically gets gets a, a free pass just because it's amazing but when you stop and think about it the, the logic makes no sense and it it destroys the beautiful uh, sort of uh, enclosed timeline of the first movie but the terminator the, the t-800 is just a great villain yeah yeah the the cyberdyne systems model 101 terminator chassis is a wonderful villain i just love <laughs> love me uh, some T eight hundred, and I, I wish we got to see that scene uh, that they wrote but never shot of of them discovering uh, 
when they when they defeat Skynet in the future before they send Kyle back. Uh, just apparently there was a scene written where they they find like a storage room just filled of racks and racks of of naked Arnold TA hundreds, and that would have been fun to see. You you can't beat the the one hundred and one. It's a yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Jay. Uh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> Nothing. I don't. Know. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to argue uh, what what it's called in this show. We'll say that for another topic. But yeah. model 101 refers to its outer skin, not its underskeleton. Anyway, uh, so any other qualities in a villain? I I do have another one. Hit us up. Okay. Um. I. We can agree or we can disagree on this one, but I feel like um, some of the better villains out there, and I know Scott will probably agree, disagree with me, but there has to be, they have to be kind of charismatic. Uh, they need some level of like, not relatability, but just, you know, they have to be able to get what they want. If that makes sense, charm—not charming, but charming. Okay, you got some examples of their artists. Um, like okay, so going back to Gary Oldman as Stansfield from Leon the Professional. Uh, he is a cop. And, like, when he's not, you know, coked out of his mind on drugs, he's <laughs> a pretty he's a pretty likable guy. He wouldn't get to where he's at in the system, like, in the police department without, you know, having some sort of charisma, without having some sort of likability. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like that adds to a character if they have some more traits that aren't just like and I know like what Scott said about Darth Vader yes in the first one he comes in he's evil he has no charisma he's just like I'm a bad guy and like I can appreciate that but I think a villain that has that kind of a tribute just makes it a little bit better so something like uh, I forget the character name, but um, Denzel Washington's character in Training Day. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. One of my favorite on-screen villains because it's Denzel kind of playing against type, uh, especially at that point in his career. But it's yeah every every time he does something terrible or horrible right in front of you, and you want to be like, what? He turns on that Denzel charm and he wins you right back over, and you're like, oh well, that that guy he shot must have been bad because it's denzel he wouldn't shoot somebody for no reason oh no that that guy must have been dirty and selling drugs to kids because denzel wouldn't just roll up into his buddy's apartment and shoot him to steal his money to pay off a bet Uh, i mean that that, denzel wouldn't do that like that's that's part of what i love about the characters is he does something terrible and your instinct is to be like oh he's the bad guy but he he turns on that charm you're like well that no it's it's denzel i i must understand what i was saying um, I just thought of it. Another good example. I can't think of the name of the movie, but it was when Mark Wahlberg was very young. Uh, had Mark Fear. Wahlberg in it, huh? Fear with him yes. and Reese. 
Reese Witherspoon? No, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Alicia Silverstone, isn't it? No. no. Reese Witherspoon and yeah. CSI guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's uh, the dude from CSI. Yeah, the dude from CSI. Playing the dad. Yep. Playing the dad. Um, in Fear. Oh, my God. That's the name of the movie. Wow. You know, I I, I wouldn't call him a villain. He is a villain. Oh, but, like, is. oh, man, you just, you really want to like the guy. And, like, she likes the guy. And the mom likes the guy until, you know, he kills the dog and, like, breaks into the house and uh, you, does all the stop. other stuff. We watched that movie at Koran's a while ago, and uh, and has not aged well, man. Yeah, well, but uh, but no, you're right. No, that's he is when you first meet that character, he is all charm, and he he wins you over just like the uh, Reese Witherspoon's character does. So yeah, yeah having a, I mean that's let's quit beating around the bush. You want to talk about charm? You want to talk about a villain you love to hate? Loki. I mean, yeah. The guy continuously tries to take over Midgard and rule over people and backstabs his own, you know, adopted brother and, and, and literally in the first movie plots to let the frost giants in so they can try to kill his father so he can stop him and gain the glory. Like, but you never like, you're never mad at him. Like, it's true. Everyone's always happy to see Loki again. It's all in good fun. Yeah. <laughs> I only tried to sell you out to get an Infinity Stone for Thanos. It, it wasn't perfect. Come on, it's, it's Loki. You love me. Um, another one that I thought of. Uh, that's I just I looked at my list again. Jack Torrance from uh, The Shining. Yeah. I mean, you're just like you know. I get it. You're cooped up with your family for a long time. You're gonna get a little angry. <laughs> Uh, are you going to axe murder people? Maybe not, but you know, Jack, we get it. We're with you. Did you have to bury the chest into the, the guy? Oh, I can't think of his name now. Scatman Carruthers. Yeah. Did you have to do that? No, but I get it. I'm, I'm, I see what you're doing there. You know? Yes, he did. Cause test audiences wanted, uh, more of a kill count. Um, yeah, there are certain movies in 2020 that were just on the, like the, Hey, just, at this year just it's gonna hit close to home just uh, like the shining the thing just, just maybe don't watch those this year <laughs> if they're gonna hit you a little differently than normal in in the year of everyone being locked inside when jack torrance's motivations start to make sense you've been locked <laughs> inside too long when you start hearing yourself talking to your wife the way jack torrance did wendy darling light of my life you didn't let me finish. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in. That was my Here's spot on Johnny. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Scott, you want to weigh in? On, on what? He on... just wants to hear us quote more Jack Nicholson, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got any? You got any Jack for us? <laughs> Wait till they get a load of me. Ooh, I got tingles on that one. Sorry. I've actually never seen The Shining. I just know the general story. Uh, and I've been yelled at repeatedly by some friends for that. So, Great movie. I love it. Uh, I can see Scott either loving it or hating it. 
Well, part of me wants to watch it only because I've heard good things about Doctor Sleep. So, yeah, Doctor Sleep is really good. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, Jay. What? I thought you said something. Uh, so, any other qualities uh, or examples we haven't got to that you just want to circle around to? Want to make sure we? Is there anything you you know? Don't walk off the field and feel like you had something left. Leave everything on the field. Anybody got anything else? I have a character that I okay. have a villain, a villain character. A villain. We don't we don't get much time with in the this specific movie. Okay. But, but god damn, if they don't just really justify, like not justify, but give this villain its due justice. Okay. And and that is Kevin Spacey as John Doe in Seven. Okay. Exposit on that. Um, it's just like he's so cold and calculating, and it's such a well acted part, and it plays out his plan, and like he gets to fulfill his plan, he outsmarts the cops, like he achieves his goal. Yes, it results in his death, but he achieves his goal. And what a way to make an entrance with your protagonists by just yelling, walking into the police station and yelling detectives. And you, you know, he shaved off his own fingerprints. I mean, like uh, it is a rare movie where the bad guy does get to win. Yeah. I'll give you points for that. Yeah, if uh, yeah, he's definitely got that mastermind thing going. Um, I'm not sure about the charm part, but uh, no, no, I mean, he's, he's definitely he's definitely a, a, an interesting villain to watch. Yeah, he's just a villain that I wanted to make sure I got out there as one that. Wow. Okay. Sorry. No, uh, my wow was completely unrelated. Sorry. Um... <laughs> she getting us excited for nothing. I was I was waiting into a whole different thing. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Kevin Spacey in in Seven, I'm not a big fan. Uh, first of all, I love Kevin Spacey. Uh, I think he's actually a very very he's a wonderful actor, and I love everything he does. Um, but when it comes to him in Seven. I, I don't know. I've never really considered him a very memorable villain because in that movie, the seven deadly sins are presented more in the forefront that I don't know how to yeah, say you, you see his, you see the fruits of his labor. You see his work but you more don't than s- you see him. Yeah. And he's almost kind of secondary. Yes. He's almost a supporting character to himself. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Um, and I love Seven. Uh, I've never seen any of the other tie-in movies with uh, where Morgan Freeman reprises his role in other stories, but um, so I, I don't know. Once again, he's he's got the the whole mastermind thing down. And in all honesty, but what, what was because I don't even remember his motivation in that movie. I don't even remember why the character was doing. It. He's trying to stage murders themed to the seven deadly sins. Exactly why I don't think we ever get an answer. Yeah. Um, 
because you know there's a whole scene where they they find his apartment and they're going through his notebooks and trying to find some kind of motive or rationale and they don't and that's kind of a point of of his characters uh and i think uh morgan freeman says this is you know we could we could pour through these notebooks and, and read every single word you know it's, it's just his mind uh poured out on paper we never understand why he's doing this and that's yeah. kind of a point yeah so as far as him as a villain i honestly think that that you know, in this movie, it's more of the heroes almost hindered but maybe by themselves more than him, because I just don't get him as a villain. He is, of course. I mean, I'm not saying he's not the, the antagonist. He is. He most definitely is. He's working against the heroes. It's, But it's a police procedural, and we don't see him a lot in the movie. And then when we do, it's very enigmatic and... I I just I don't know. Eh, sorry. Uh, and for the record, Scott, uh, it, it, Morgan Freeman does not play his detective character from Seven in any other movie. It's his detective character from Kiss the Girls. He reprises in some later movies. Really, I I, I thought I thought Kiss the Girls and Along Came the Spider and something else were all the same character from Seven. Nope, same character, but not the character from Seven. It's well, still a. Hard-boiled detective played by Morgan Freeman. But they have different names. So it's totally different. Well, once again, I've never seen any of those other movies. I honestly but, thought... I just didn't want you to think yeah, that Seven exists in and of itself. There are no other spinoff movies to watch for that. Uh, if anyone's thinking, like, what, I missed a sequel to Seven? No, no, you didn't. You're fine. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was called Eight. Wait, wait, wait. I saw the sequel to that, Nine. It was the with the little kid, the the, the ragdoll thing. Really yeah, the post-apocalypse thing. It got really weird, man. It did. Yeah. Maybe I should have seen Eight. It would have explained Nine. Right. And then there's uh, Ben 10. Well, don't forget the prequel, Six. Uh-huh. uh-huh yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it all started with the Three Musketeers. <laughs> Somehow. Okay, uh, well, <laughs> I think we've run through our actual stuff of substance to talk about. Unless I'm wrong, anybody else have anything you want to get off your chest? I think we've done a pretty good job of breaking down villains. I'll take that as a no, then. So we agree on you got to have cool motivation, um, challenging the protagonist, have a, an admirable quality. Uh, you get points for for turning your villain into a character by giving him an interesting backstory, but it isn't necessary depending on what kind of villain you're trying to get across. Um, and less is usually more. I think is one last thing to throw out there. I mean, it, it's always good to to leave your audience wanting more from the villain than being like, "Yeah, it was a lot of him or her, or whatever." I agree. I mean, I, you know, going all the way back to Vader, uh, yeah, some years after the fact, we still want more of Vader. And and if you're in a Disney movie, you got to have that badass uh, uh, villain song, which is it, it is a requirement. You're the only the best villains have villain songs, and the best songs are the villain songs. That's how it works. True. And let's not forget being hero yeast, helping the hero rise to the occasion. Yes, challenge that protagonist. Got to have that hero yeast, or just, the movie's just not gonna it's not gonna souffle right. I wanna. Uh, I want. I'd like three slices of Thor. Uh, give me an Iron Man bun, mm-hmm. uh, and that, that'll be with uh, uh, search for the lost coffee to go. Okay. 
All right, Jay's going to close us out with his acapella version of Be Prepared. Here we go. What? No. Any minute now, Jay. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was not prepared for this. Uh, okay, well, supposed to be prepared. Um, uh, listen, all I can say is that there's a shiny new era tiptoeing near. And it's shiny. Where do we feature? Listen to teacher. Tiptoeing nearer. See, if you don't give it with the accent, they don't rhyme. A shining era, tiptoeing nearer. And where do we feature? Just, Just listen to teacher. teacher. I know this it's has been your weekly nerd alert.